I have six students in my class in the Mary Barnum class. All right, good morning, everybody. We're gonna get started. I wanna thank you for coming today um, to our first, actually, this is our second Women's History Month uh, event at the college. So thank you for being here. Um, we will be um, talking today with Kevin Navratil and Mary Fafleese, who are both faculty members here um, in the political science department. Uh, they are going to be focusing on the Roe versus Wade decision, but how it has impacted women since the decision um, last June. So we're going to talk more about um, kind of what's happened since that decision, um, what's happening across the country in different states, um, and how women are being impacted by the decision. So that's kind of the focus of what today's um, talk will be. Um, we do have another Women's History Month event next week. If anybody is interested, we'll be talking to um, a woman who is uh, one of 11 women referees in the IHSA soccer program across the state. So she's actually an alum of the college. So um, it's kind of cool that she went here and now she's out representing women across the state um, at IHSA. So that's kind of interesting. That's next week. Um, so anyway, I just want to turn it over to you guys. And um, what we're kind of hoping for is that this will be a a place where we can have a safe discussion. You can feel free to, to say what you would like to say. Um, we're kind of hoping that it will be a discussion and not just uh, talking at you. So um, if you have comments or anything, please feel free to raise your hand and we will get the microphone over to you so that you can um, to share your thoughts with, with the information that they're presenting. Great. So, all right, so awesome. take it away, guys. Do you want to introduce yourself? Or you no, go okay, awesome. Good morning, everybody. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay, great. My name is Mary Fee Fleece. As uh, Jessica just said, it's well, lovely to be with all of you here today in this nice spring day. Seems like spring, I think, is making a little return. Um, so I've got a couple things we want to start off with talking to you about. Um, and and as, um, as Jess said, I, Kevin and I are pretty, Professor Navratil and I are pretty, um, well, I, I probably am more so than, than he's more professional than I am, but I um, definitely am pretty casual. So if you have questions, please feel free to, or comments, you know, join in. We really want this to be interactive and, and uh, neither of us is threatened by an, by an opinion. So um, we're, uh, we're definitely up for it. So um, I just want to kind of start off with a little story. Um, some of you may have heard the story. How many of you heard of this story about a young girl in uh, 10 years old in Ohio this summer? Uh, who was, uh, was raped and became pregnant. Uh, can you see a show of hands of how many of you heard that story? So that's pretty, a pretty good majority of you. Okay, so, um, so she was 10 years old. Uh, she was raped and became pregnant and uh, was not able to get an abortion in the state of Ohio because the uh, reversal of Roe versus Wade had just come down from the Supreme Court, which I'll, I'll explain in just a second. Um, she was forced to travel to Indiana uh, where the law had not yet uh, really shifted uh, because of Ohio's fetal heart rate bill, which basically said that when a, um, a fetal heart heart is detected, heartbeat is detected, which is around uh, six weeks, I believe, in, in Ohio that they're claiming, um, 
they're not able to, to uh, perform an abortion. So she went to Indiana, um, the, uh, the abortion was performed. This is the doctor, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, who, uh, who took care of her and who since has faced uh, considerable threats and um, pushback. Uh, it became a national story, right? Where there was talk about whether or not, you know, um, you know was it true, was it not true, et cetera. Um, the person, uh, the assailant was apprehended and I believe he's now awaiting trial. Um, but she was, she was able to get that, get, get the abortion, get the procedure done. Um, but it just kind of highlights almost immediately, right? As soon as this was, the, the case was reversed, um, this, this happened like right off the bat and became sort of this, this kind of this, uh, uh, flashpoint for everyone to kind of, to rally around and talk about, um, in the, in, in the public discourse. So just as sort of a, a recap, for those of you who may not know, I think a lot of you probably are aware of this, but the decision that was, was reversed by the Supreme Court um, this last year in June um, was the Roe versus Wade decision that goes back to 1973. And it was a decision based on some previous decisions talking about the right to privacy, um, but basically it was a seven to two decision. In other words, there are nine Supreme Court justices, seven of them ruled that a woman has a right to seek an abortion, um, basically under the right of privacy, and in, in the beginning, it was like access in all trimesters, but they, but they did allow basically the idea that, that states were going to be given leeway to limit it. From then on, states did limit it uh, uh, considerably, it, some states more than others. Now, that being said, and I think, again, we, we don't want to focus too much on, on what happened, but more kind of, we're going to flash forward here to what happened uh, this past June, um, the Dobbs uh, versus Jackson Women's Health decision in 2022, that basically was a six to three decision. Um, that essentially overturned these two previous decisions. Uh, oops, oh, what did I just do there? Wow, oh, there it goes. There it is, okay, sorry. <laughs> I used to have this one, but it's been a while since I've used it. Sorry about that. So Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Um, Planned Parenthood versus Casey had said that basically uh, abortion access can be limited, but it cannot place what they called an undue burden on women. So those two cases were essentially overturned, saying that this is no longer a federal right meaning that they want, they want to turn it back to states. So if you live in a state where, like Illinois, where there's abortion access, you can kind of, life can continue as usual, sort of, which we'll discuss. Um, but if you are in a state where um, abortion access was already limited, or they had laws in the, in the books that were gonna, um, which we'll talk about, um, it was overturned and immediately became, uh, became illegal. So, and then another thing was that the ruling, some of you may have heard, was leaked before the decision actually was handed down because that was something that just never happened before. So that just sort of gives us a, a quick recap of, of what's going on. And, and from there, we'll, uh, we'll start talking about what's going on in our own neck of the woods. Do you want me to pull up the, uh, other, the map from here? I think this is good. It's fine. Okay, for right now. Oh, yeah, okay, so I'm sorry. So actually, I think in that case, I think I actually will uh, pull up the map here. But so um, looking at one of the things that Professor Navratil and I were talking about was uh, the idea of, because of, we like, which states should we focus on? Uh, you know, where should we focus on? And we were thinking that it might kind of resonate more with all of you if we talked about what's happening closer to home, right? Um, so just like, I don't know if anybody wants to, to chime in on this. But, how many of you are aware or know kind of what's happening in states around us? Does anybody have any idea of what's going on around us? If you were to kind of summarize it, if you could, like in any of the states, what would you, what would you say is kind of going on, is kind of the policy in some of the states around us that you, that you know of? Yes, ma'am. Illinois is kind of an island of abortion access where everybody else around us, Ohio, Indiana, um, Missouri, everybody else is trying to restrict it as much as possible. Ditto, right? Yeah. Anyone else want to add anything that they know of? How many of you were aware of that? Fewer? 
How many of you had no idea what was, like, what's been going on kind of around us? Okay. All right. So, it, um, and there's, there's truth to this, right? We're gonna, I'm going to pull up a map in just a second here that, that shows us kind of what's going on. It's a great map that um, gives you kind of an idea, a snapshot of what's happening in all the different states. But if you're looking at in Illinois, now Illinois is one of the states where it's not like you can, there's kind of this, this I think this, this misperception about abortion access and in, in that they know um, oftentimes because you may have heard the term like late term abortion and, and terms like that, which are actually not medical terms. Um, they're more political terms, but the idea that, you know, a woman can just go up and, you know, at 38 weeks and be like, yeah, I just decided I want to get an abortion. And, and, and Illinois does not work like that. Um, abortion is banned basically when, when, when the fetus is termed to be viable. In other words, when a fetus can possibly live outside the mother's womb, right? So this idea of 24 to 26 weeks, depending upon on the, um, the situation. And of course, if there are exceptions, based on if there's something really considerably uh, that could, could hurt the life of, that could threaten the life of the mother or, or the, the, um, the fetus. Um, in the case of Illinois, Illinois, you know, Medicaid, which is the uh, uh, medical coverage for uh, people who are having a hard time affording medical insurance, covers abortion. In the state of Missouri, it does not cover abortion. So it, co it covers it here in Illinois, and it does not cover it um, in, in Missouri. Um, abortion is completely pretty much banned in Missouri. Now, they say limited exceptions, right? But even those limited, limited effect, um, exceptions, the burden is placed basically on the provider, right? So that the person, the, the doctor who's performing the abortion, um, that meets this criteria for a legal exception. So if you're thinking about this in your mind, if you're, if you're kind of the doctor, um, what do you think that some of these doctors might be thinking if you're a doctor in Missouri and somebody comes to you and it might be like a real life, uh, you know, a medical emergency, what do you think some of those doctors might be thinking in their minds um, um, facing a, a situation like this? Anyone have an idea? I guess maybe you just put yourself in, the, in their shoes. Yeah. They, they possibly don't want to face jail time and, sorry? If something goes wrong, right? Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. They don't want to lose their medical license. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yeah, but what you guys said is spot on. Yeah. Malpractice, right? Yeah, so like we're talking about those things at the least, jail, Right, jail time, huge fines, right, as, as, as another. So obviously you're, you're going to want to make sure if you're faced with, with a situation like this, you want to you know, make sure that you, you, know, you dot your I's and you cross your T's and you are, are set to go. But um, there have been some situations that we'll be talking about that are kind of murky where, uh, actually they're not really murky in the sense that they're, they're pretty clear cut, but despite the, the clear cut nature of some of the cases, doctors are still, still kind of nervous about it. So I'm going to pull up this map here um, for you all to see this. Uh, is this one right? Nope. The cup macaron. Here it is. Okay. Is this one right? Nope. The cup macaron. Here it is. Okay. So this is a map that, and if you, if you, uh, any of you are interested in, um, we could probably provide a link maybe somewhere. Um, yeah. Uh, somewhere we'll, I don't know where, but somewhere we'll, we'll provide a link if anyone's interested um, to be able to get, see this map or if you just, if you want to even just be able to Google abortion um, rights or um, a Guttmacher Institute um, and this, you'll, you'll get this, see this map here, which is, it's interactive so you can click on it to say, okay, which states have the most restrictive things, um, which ones have, are, are, are a little bit less restrictive, some, etc. Any surprises on here that you see or anything that you're kind of, uh, Surprised by or that you're not surprised by? Surprised that New Mexico is in the very protective one? So, so if we click on New Mexico, it tells you on here what their policies are um, and what, what the demographic is and, and what the abortion statistics are. 
So, so um, in their case, like, un so unlike Missouri, but like Illinois, Medicaid does cover abortion. Um, it's not restricted based on the age of the, of, of like the baby is or fetuses is developing. Um, and qualified health pr professionals, not just physicians, can provide abortion. So a nurse practitioner uh, might be able to do that. And they have a shield law. Um, so that they're, that basically uh, a doctor or provider is going to be protected basically um, uh, by, from investigations from other states because that's the situation that happened with the case in um, Indiana and Ohio um, where the doctor was, the, the, there's been talk about the doctor being investigated and it's become, like I said, kind of a, a national political case. Um, anything that you wanted to add, Kevin? Yeah, if you don't mind uh, pulling that map, uh, the national map back up. Um, one point that I'd just like to highlight is, um, you know, when you look at a state like Illinois, and as one of the audience members described it as an island, it, I think that's a, a good description of it. Um, you know, when we were thinking about all the different aspects of how to cover this event today, one way you could say, oh, well, Illinois is this island of, of you know, um, providing uh, more access for for women to have the right to choose. Uh, so, is is that completely true? Is there, or maybe a better way of framing that? Can you think of any ways in which um, there has been changes since this past June for a state like Illinois? Um, and I see that North Carolina. This is kind of a a, a really broad uh, coding system, but a lot of uh, people would argue that North Carolina is also kind of an island, um, considering policies compared to so. No, it's fine. Um, compared to Florida and Georgia and some of the other states in the region. So my question is: Is can you think of ways in which, um, since the Dobbs decision came down, how there has been changes even in the island of kind of more access in states like Illinois or North Carolina? Yeah. Exactly. So uh, just for the recording, in case uh, that wasn't picked up, the idea is that now many people are traveling from all of these uh, states in the region that no longer have um, access. And so what we're seeing, especially in I have data from North Carolina, is that wait times are up a couple of weeks. Um, and so that might seem somewhat minimal to, to some of us. Um, two extra weeks of waiting, um, but keep in mind this is a really um, difficult decision that individuals are having to make. The traveling to, to be able to go to um, states, um, and so even for the people in the, the states like Illinois um, who may uh, have an unexpected pregnancy that they would like to terminate, they may have to wait longer now because of um, because of the Dobbs decision. And one of the things that uh, to keep in mind is that as you um, are increasing the number of weeks before um, you, you potentially terminate this pregnancy, some of the options may no longer be available to you. Um, typically it's around 10 weeks where um, abortion pills are used in about half of all abortions. Um, and those are no longer effective after 10 weeks. So by waiting a couple extra weeks because of these wait times, you may no longer have your preferred method of, uh, you know, ending the pregnancy. Uh, might, so that option might be limited to you. Um, and what some individuals are finding is when they travel to a place like North Carolina, and, and now that they have these wait times that some of the procedures are now more invasive than they had planned for. So now you've 
travel, do you hotel room, all the other different costs associated with this. And you're not, you, you, you may now have to do a second visit uh, to come back because the orig original procedure is no longer available to you um, to do medication or a less invasive procedure. So that's just one thing to keep in mind of, of one of the many ways that um, despite kind of being an island of having more abortion access, that there's still a direct impact uh, on individuals within that state. And of course, there's just the greater burden for those who are having to travel um, to, to get to these places. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, the, the, uh, according to um, Planned Parenthood, this is a statistic quoted in an article that one in three um, women now are um, having their basically access to abortion uh, or have lost all or most access to, to abortion rights. Um, and that it, obviously since the decision came down, they've got about two dozen states that have, have, uh, have or bans have gone into effect. Some of them are still waiting, awaiting litigation, but obviously then if you're in a state like Illinois where you can still get access, but now if there are more and more people that are coming in because they're coming in from states surrounding us, that means that your own access is limited. And let's be honest, we're not even only just talking about, if you're talking about clinics that Planned Parenthood, despite what people talk about, does not just only provide abortion care. I mean, really, it's like, that's probably like the least thing that, that Planned Parenthood does. Um, some of you may know, if you're driving up and down LaGrange Road, you may see protesters every once in a while. Um, if you're you know, driving in Orland, um, kind of there on the side, but that, that, that Planned Parenthood location does not provide abortions. That it basically just provides contraception, um, information for like, you know, for um, breast exams and, and, and women's gynecological um, and reproductive health. So um, if you think about it, that, that could also be putting a burden in general just on other things. So it, it is to per Professor Neverton's point, um, it may also be having an impact on, on women's health here, uh, whether you whether we realize it or, or not. I guess the extent of it, we're still kind of realizing that we have not quite got that has not quite come to fruition. So what I thought I'd do next is um, first kind of set up a few um, ideas that we planned on sharing with you and then kind of just check in to see if there's questions or any uh, other aspects that you would like us to cover. But um, one key area that we thought was really important is to cover the access to the abortion pill and how potentially in any day that could be disrupted for the entire country including these blue islands like Illinois. Uh, and again, keeping in mind that, that uh, approximately half of all abortions occur through the pill. Um, and then we were also gonna talk about how um, many of these states, when we were looking at the map with the most restrictive um, abortion policies are really the least prepared for all these increased births that are going to be happening now. Um, and so that's um, an area we planned on covering. And then how specific medical procedures may also be limited um, for women as well. So that was our plan. So I just wanna check in and see if there's any questions, any comments that we have so far. All right, so I do think this video will be pretty provocative and generate some um, questions or, or feedback from you. Um, why Mary pulls that up? Um, do, you want to, do you think we can play it in advanced speed, like one and a quarter? Uh, probably. Let's try it. Yeah, why not? It's a good idea. Go ahead. So we're going to play this at a slightly advanced speed, but I'm going to keep my eye out in the audience. If anybody thinks this is too fast, um, we're happy to slow it down. But we just have so much we want to share today. I think it's 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 easy to follow along at just a slightly. And I'm putting the speed. captions on, so not to annoy some of you, but I think it might help for some people. So I, I will have them on here. Oh, and we can't hear. Uh, let's see. Um, let's try it again. 
Let's just skip for a second and check that volume. Oh, it's off. Yeah, there you go. Here, let me. Yeah, thank you. No, this is the wrong video anyway. So these are great videos that are free on PBS. We have these advertisements, sorry.
So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, got it. So it goes in front of the next one. Got it. Okay. Just thought we'd start off with any questions or reactions, thoughts regarding all of the potential implications from what was portrayed in the video. Yeah, Caitlin. question it's a great question and from my understanding i've watched this video a few times is so the question was is procedurally what was their legal rationale for saying that the approval of the drugs were of the drug was not um consistent with their typical practice of approving drugs and from my understanding what they were saying in the video is if the, from their legal cases that they're saying that um, it was originally approved um, for emergency um, medications and that it wasn't applicable to that. Um, and somebody else may have to help me out here with. It was for, wasn't it for something else too? Was it originally approved for um, ulcers? Like Ulc yeah, yeah, for a, a different type of medical procedure. Um, and beyond that, I think, because we're not physicians and, and, and nurses, I don't know if I, I'm not familiar myself with the FDA's like approval process, but. I think we can both say that it's safely that it's it's you know done with scientific methods and it's you know done with people that are experts in the field. So that's actually a really good question. Um, I don't know how much science really had to do with that decision, uh, but I'd be curious to find that out myself. Really, kind of what they're how they arrived at that. Um, yeah. So I just you know I struggle here. I, you know I'm trying to be an objective conveyor of information, but it's it's hard to not see this as a very calculated. Um, legal case. I mean, the, this organization set up headquarters in Amarillo, Texas. None of them had any connection to the state. They, they did this. They set up their headquarters there to have the ability for this particular judge, Kazmarek, to, to potentially be the one deciding this. Um, and as the video has portrayed and as medical research, I mean, this drug is, is less, you know, harmful or deadly than uh, Tylenol, of Viagra, mm -hmm. of actually being pregnant, right? So, you know, there's, there's always the slight potential for there to be harm from anything. But when that harm is less than actually being pregnant or from Viagra, um, which we don't hear, I don't hear any lawsuits about, about the <laughs> process of that being, you, you, you see where I'm going with this. It's hard to not um, uh, see, be a little skeptical of the legal rationale here. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad that, I don't know if anybody has another question, because that was a really good question. I'm glad that you said that actually, Kevin, because I, it's, it's one of those issues I really, I, I know I can't very be objective on it myself at all, because it's, it's um, and I know people have, it doesn't mean that I also cannot be, I cannot try to understand somebody else's point of view, because I try very hard to always put myself in other people's shoes, and I don't think that they're, I think that they genuinely believe that they are trying to, to protect women and try to protect their health. I think they think they're doing the right thing, um, I just think it's, I always go back to in my own mind, the issue to me always circles back to prevention. If you don't want women to be accessing abortions, then why don't we talk more about prevention? When you talk more about prevention though, there's always talk about states like that using like abstinence only education and teaching sex ed. Those states that use, that, te that seem to push ab abstinence only education also have the highest rates of teen pregnancy. 
So if, if absence only worked, if it worked really well, it would work, right? But it doesn't. So I always think, I always feel like I wish that there was common ground that we could kind of find with one another um, on the idea of having, just promoting more the idea of, of safe, safe sex and contraception and teaching people, right? I just want to ask a question um, that may seem a little unorthodox here. And if, if you're willing to raise your hand on this, how many of you believe that um, an with, when an abortion is being performed that a scalpel is involved? That, that when a, an abortion is being performed that a scalpel is involved? How many of you are not sure really what happens? That's probably a better question. Okay, thank you, thank you for saying that because um, well, I think one of the misconceptions, and I'm not here trying to say like I'm, I'm sitting out here promoting abortions. <laughs> like they, I don't want you to go home and say, oh, my professor is talking about abortion promotion. Um, but just to give an idea of like, in terms of like the safety of the procedure, because a lot of, uh, over the years, a lot of these um, reasons that are given, like the medication thing, or like having, having laws that state that in an abortion clinic, that the walls of the abortion clinic have to be uh, a certain length wide to accommodate if there's an emergency, right, for, for the, the woman who's having the procedure. That sounds like super reasonable, right? You hear that and you're like, okay, that sounds, that sounds fine. A stretcher has got to come in. There's got to be room for emergency services, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, has anyone here ever had a colonoscopy? <laughs> a couple of us had, right? Um, if you've ever had a polyp with a colonoscopy, a scalpel is involved when removing a polyp. So a, you have a greater chance of having a bleeding episode and perhaps going to the hospital with a colonoscopy in, in, in the immediate, like, after, like right then and there, right? Because um, I'm not going to say that there's no, that, that a woman also cannot bleed with an abortion, but that usually does, but I'm saying right then and there, um, it's a, it's a scalpel is used when performing a colonoscopy if you're having a polyp removed. So the idea of it being simply about safety, then why are, why are colonoscopies allowed to be performed in doctor's offices um, and they don't talk about how wide the walls have to be or whether the doctors got privileges to go to the, the local hospital. Um, it's not regulated the same way that this is regulated, right? So there's, there, I think that Professor Navratil's right. There is an agenda, clearly. Um, and, and, and again, I'm not, I, I can't talk about their, their motive. I think the motivation really is, is pure at heart, but it's, it doesn't deny the fact that, that women, I think, at the end of the day, end up suffering as a result of it. Well, and, and just to be clear, in the video, the leader of the Alliance for Defending Freedom was asked if there's any scientific evidence or data that would persuade her, and she said no. I mean, there were, so, that, you know, there's, there isn't any new data we can come up with to alleviate her um, intent on taking away that form of medication. And again, I think it's a very strategic play and um, so I just want to make sure that we're all understanding this. So this is in Texas. Why does it matter to us in Illinois, potentially? And on. Hardy, please. Correct. So one way is that anything that happens in a state like Texas could lead to more of the patients from Texas going to other states. Mm -hmm. Why else? That's, I, sir. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, go ahead. You know what? Yeah, I'll start coming around with the microphone. People. So just to recap what was said, that what you know, a precedent would be set for what happens in one state for a model for the nation. Um, so from my understanding, uh, I, uh, I, I'm just doing this based off an assumption. Mm -hmm. And, uh, from what I've seen uh, a couple years ago, a lot of people migrated from Illinois to Texas. Um, cause a lot of people seem, at least from my observation, a lot of people have family in Texas and have been moving and all these other things. So, yeah. <laughs> mostly Texas. Um, <laughs> So what I'm starting to see now is we're actually getting a mass migration back to Illinois from Texas. And already we have a very, like, very dense region up here. So I guess we're going to have possibly a big migration issue soon because, I mean, do we have the housing? Do we have, like, do we have the land to accommodate all the people that are now going to move here because of the restriction of this bill? So their concern for how there could be um, many people moving from states. One thing to keep in mind is just um, there. There's certainly some people who have that capability to take policies into consideration and uproot their family, maybe change jobs, schools, all that. It takes a lot of resources too. And so, thinking about the, the 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 people who may not have those resources or the freedom to potentially change jobs or uproot their family from all the connections that they may have in their neighborhood and their in their region. Um, so one of the concerns there is just how many people get left behind in these in, in, in those situations. But I, I still think there's a really big elephant in the room here of how this impacts everybody. And I know there's still multiple hands. Mary, did you want to respond? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a FDA ruling, so it's going to affect everyone. It's not going to just affect Texas. A hundred percent. This is, we recap over half of all abortions are through medication. They're removing the, the, the key medication that is used in this two-step process. If this goes through and it's going to be appealed, you know, but if it goes through, that's nationwide, yeah. right? So this, this impacts everybody, and that is over half of uh, all abortions that are, are currently occur is through this two-step medication process. Caitlin? Um, I had a question regarding with Jacob's uh, question. If more people move from like Texas who kind of believe in this stance, can they also advocate it for here in Illinois and create more of an issue? And it kind of like, let's say it rockets onwards because Chicago is a pretty densely dem um, democratic city, but the rest of Illinois is not mm -hmm. regarded as democratic, it's regarded as more Republican. So can that kind of like, kind of domino effect uh, surrounding uh, cities of Illinois and then cause Chicago to be an outlier and then cause Illinois to then have more restrictions to abortion? Interesting. I do think one of the things that we've seen in the last couple of years is um, the migration of people, and, and Jacob brought this up, of people going from Illinois to Texas and people from New York to Florida. 
And you know, as an, uh, I'm a political scientist. As an election observer, you notice how the 2022 elections, there was some really surprising findings of, of states like Florida becoming much more red. It used to be a battleground state that was like 50-50 in the 2000 election between Bush and Gore. Um, Obama won it in 2008 and 2012, and now it's like 18% Republican advantage for this governor and Senate race. And you see the flip of that going on in states that used to be really uh, hotly contested in, in places like Colorado. So I do think you're seeing these migration patterns of, of kind of, let's, let's say, the liberals of Texas moving to liberal states and the conservatives and blue states moving. But again, these are kind of on the margins. You know, not everybody has that capacity. Um, and it would take a while, right, for that to, and I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I, th I think it would, yeah, it would take a while. And conversely, you're seeing now, right, like, Georgia, Arizona, some of the states. So we are seeing like kind of some migration it, it happening. But yeah, I think it would take a it would have to take a lot of people for that really to make uh, such an impact on um, on Illinois. But that's it's a good question. Um, so going off of what you guys said with um, how people would feel based off of this act, I personally wouldn't know how other people would feel, but based off of what I would feel, um, right now I do feel a little scared. Mm -hmm due to the fact that it's a right being taken away. Mm -hmm. And I am a woman, you know, mm -hmm. and hearing this is basically, I feel frightened. Mm -hmm. What else is being taken away? Mm -hmm. What else can be taken away? Yeah. We've been fighting so long to get stuff in place, mm -hmm. and it's just concerning. Definitely. It's kind of a, you know, when you ask people, the idea that my, my husband and I, there's an anecdotal uh, cont contribution here. We were talking about this and I said something to the effect of, it's, I think it's hard for, when people are empathetic, they can, I think, put themselves in somebody else's shoes and understand it. But it's hard unless you've, most people, I mean, unless you've had a right taken away from you, I mean, when, you, when, you, when that actually happens, it's, it's you know, I think it, it puts you in a completely different mind space. Um, and you think about things that are fundamental to our daily lives that we take for granted. Um, and I think this is one of those things that for, I think for many, many people, men and women, right, we haven't really thought of, but that once it's been taken away now, it's a very scary thing. Um, so I, I can completely, uh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I have the microphone coming. And did you have your hand up in the front too? Did you get my Oh, you mentioned people not having like the financial freedom to, you know, change jobs and like change locations into a state where it would be, you know, they have abortion rights. Uh, this is just dawned on me right now. A lot of those states where it's most restrictive, they have like the lowest minimum wage per state and they don't have the best welfare programs. Yep. So how are they really like expected yeah, yeah, like, yeah, families yeah. to take care of like themselves? Uh, which one? The, um, oh, the, the big map? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's the New York Times website. Yeah, that's a great observation. And, you know, it kind of uh, a natural segue into what we were talking about earlier. So if we would just want to say, this is a generalization here, but when we say red states and blue states, red states that generally vote Republican, um, and many of these states are in the South and Midwest. And when you look at them collectively, these are the states with the uh, most re abortion restrictions. And, uh, Mary, you have that pointer. Can you go back up for a minute? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, here you go. So 
on this left hand, maybe get a little bit higher just so we can see the, the headings here. Sure. But these are the states. I know this is kind of small for you to see. And I, in fact, I can't quite see it myself. <laughs> but what I do know is that these states over here are the 24 states that are red, that are the most restrictive. Um, and so, you know, the varying estimates here of approximately 50,000 um, additional births um, than previous years um, from the decision of Dobbs uh, this summer. Um, so we're, there's an expectation that there's going to be um, approximately 50,000 uh, births that wouldn't have uh, occurred before. And so these are not going to occur equally distributed across the country, right? It's more likely to be in these 24 states that have um, more abortion restrictions. And so to your point, if you look at whether uh, children living in poverty, uh, a big uh, increase over the states that are like Illinois that, that um, have um, better access to abortion rights, uh, uninsured women, this is a huge issue in terms of access to medical care, um, prenatal care, um, and then, you know, uninsured children, it's twice as high. Low birth rate babies is higher. Teen births is almost twice as high. Infant mortality is higher. Um, maternal, maternal mortality is higher. I mean, so the impact is significant of the impact that it's going to have on, um, you know, and this is just thinking about, you know, years ahead of how this plays out. Now, there's there's certainly always those cases. I remember the Republican National Convention, I think, highlighted somebody who, you know, their parents were planning on having an abortion and they didn't, and here they are. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that there's not those stories of mm -hmm. like, oh, they're just so happy to have this baby that they didn't plan and they were going to have an abortion and they didn't. But there's going to be a lot of scenarios where just these, either a single parent or family is just not prepared to have mm -hmm. this child. And unfortunately, several of these states have not proven themselves to really devote the resources that is necessary to families who are in need of, of, of care and assistance, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's medical care, whether that's um, you know, financial assistance, uh, housing assistance, uh, and so forth. So I think there's a real concern of how this is gonna play out, not just in the short term, but you know, um, how these kids per, um, are, are, are going to fare 18 years from now. Sure. And to your very good point, if someone at a higher socioeconomic level, right, is in Texas or they're in Alabama or they're in Mississippi or wherever it may be, they're more likely in, in anecdote after anecdote is already bearing this out. They can afford to get on a plane and go somewhere or drive somewhere and get childcare and get for the kids they, are, they may already have, right, or to take leave from their job or and get a hotel and stay there. They have the resources to do that. Who is this going to impact the most? It's going to be people who already cannot afford it, um, which is going to further burden a system that is already burdened. In a lot of states that do not also accept uh, um, expansion of Medicaid benefits, um, where they can least afford it, so it's going to end up, end up impacting people who are already impoverished, and just drive them further into poverty. Unfortunately, you know, you guys, kids are expensive. You know, I, I joke around to my stepkids. You guys are like, you know, the succubus, like. Just kind of, we, as much as we love you, right? But but all of us were at one time, right? We were we were succubi to our parents at one point. It happens, right? But um, it's expensive, right, to raise kids the way you want to want and to to give them the things that you want to give them, and um, um, that's just that's just a truth. So, it was a good question. Do you have a question here? You want me? To, I can give you mine. Troy's coming. 
what disturbs me the most about this whole thing is that they claim to be wanting to protect women and children, and yet these statistics show you that they don't care about women and children. If you've got a 25% maternity death rate mm -hmm. for people who don't have access to yeah. this. You know, yeah. you have children who are living in a higher poverty rate, who are uninsured. They don't care about children. Mm -hmm. You know, they're mm -hmm. just obsessed with everybody else having sex, and they're not. I don't know. I yeah, mean, no, it's it like, is. why are you yeah, so obsessed with someone else's bedroom? Yeah. Get out of my bedroom, get out of my doctor's mm -hmm. office, mm -hmm. and pay attention to your own stuff. I would definitely agree with the idea that there, there's some time, with the, with the first part, um, going back to your previous point about, about uh, what was the first point that you made? I'm sorry, because I, I had something I wanted to say. I just totally left my head. Sorry. Go ahead. I'll let you talk first. Then I'll, you're going to add something? I just no. totally lost my thought. Because I had something I wanted to add to that. Um, about not caring about women and children. That was yeah, what I, my I, first I, point I, was. I, it's Mary hard to say thinks that. of, of uh, her comment, um, you know, I was just going to say, I do think that there has been a few organizations, you know, the pro-life organizations that have agreed to step up funding and I don't mm -hmm. I can't cite the the, mm -hmm. the the article or the example of which group it is but I've seen a couple and I'm like okay that's kind of putting your money where your mouth is but it's it's definitely too um, too few too few mm -hmm. and it isn't at the state level no. of of being prepared for let's say uh, a Mississippi to say you know what we're going to increase um, you know Medicaid coverage um, in anticipation that we're going to have more births now. Mm -hmm. So you're definitely right. There isn't that commitment there to say we're we're not just pro-life. We're going to make sure that uh, with with the fetus that we're going to make sure that we're going to support that um, born baby for the rest of their lives. So another concern is is the strain on our social services. Um, the foster system in 2020 had 600,000 students in the foster care system. Um, and a hundred thousand of them were waiting to be adopted, and um, so you, you know, again, the kind of the potential addition, num additional number of kids in the foster care system. So, you know, I'd like to see is some of these, you know, the, the woman from that organization. I would hope that her organization is doing a lot to try to promote um, adoption through the foster care system, yeah. and um, putting their money where their mouth is, is in, in terms of being um, pro-life. I'm sorry, and I remembered my, my, what I was going to say. Um, thank you. Um, not to mention the fact that we do have, in the industrialized world, one of the highest, in, uh, highest um, maternal mortality rates and infant mortality rates. So, and we also have the, the highest uh, child poverty rate in the industrialized world, um, about a 30% uh, poverty rate amongst children. So that's, I mean, that in of itself is, is, is kind of a frightening uh, statistic. So, and, and your chances of dying in childbirth are far greater than dying um, of, uh, from an abortion. Provided, um, again, that, that's not that's that's not their concern. And I do th I, I I do like to think that some people genuinely have people's best interests at heart. They just don't. I think they're not able to get. They're only seeing their own tunnel. They're not able they're, to see. They're what's, seeing what's it best in their own black else. and white perspective, yes. and not all the shades of gray that right. are in between. Right. Exactly. And I see Caitlin has her hand up, um, and, and while we're getting to her, I just point out that um, that maternal. Um, the mortality, maternal, maternal, maternal mortality rate, I can't say it, has only increased this last couple of years yeah. during COVID. Yeah. And we also have to understand that with these data kind of mask the differences we see um, based on race and based on income, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So um, low income minority mothers are much, much higher. And that has actually increased significantly in the last couple mm -hmm. of years. Mm -hmm. So we're going the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of want to point on her, uh, her point about like how 
it's like a really interesting conversation of like how they're kind of pointing it out. But I feel like sometimes this conversation could be like, I think I would have a different reaction to this conversation if we had like better maybe education for our mm -hmm. youth on like um, contraceptive wise, um, maybe different like ways of like supporting families, like having better education systems, like having more like free daycares for yeah. our children. And it kind of makes me think about in Asia, we a lot of Asian countries has this system like um, for mothers, like after they give birth to help with like post-depression and supporting them and like taking care of them before they take care of their babies. Like they have like a separate ward where they'll take care of their mothers and then nurses will come and take care of the children while the mothers just kind of focus on um, rehealing themselves yeah. after um, pregnancy. And it makes me think of like post-depression here in the US and how post-depression is such a serious issue and we do not talk about it very 100%. much. And um, it really does affect the children and what happens to the children afterwards because sometimes post-depression moms just don't have the correct mindset at that time due to post-depression. You've uh, raised a number of awesome points. Um, yeah, again, the, the sex education point I think is number one. We had a discussion actually, uh, Jessica, Kevin and I about even having another event because I was talking about, and I think I've talked about this, Julia, in our sociology class too, just about the idea that we don't talk about these topics enough. They're very taboo, right? We, we want to, it's interesting that this nice lady here in the front row, and forgive me, I don't know your name, talks about the idea of intervening in people's bedrooms, but we, so we, we we're kind of okay with doing that, but we're not comfortable talking about this conversation openly. Um, Scandinavian countries, they have these conversations very, very openly. To, with a frankness that would probably shock most Americans, we'd, we'd be like very uncomfortable about it. Um, but talking about like, how much did your parents talk about it with you? right? Um, talk about sex with you and talk about contraception and talk, have these conversations. And it's, it's, it's embarrassing, right? Nobody wants to talk to your parents about that. So that, I totally get that. But that's one major problem that we have. If we're not talking about it, then we can't educate people about it. And the, 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 now, the lack of knowledge when you, when you quiz not just teenagers, right? Adults even on what they know or they do not know about sex and, and how a person can get pregnant or get, get a, um, um, a venereal disease is appalling because we don't have these conversations. To your other point about postpartum depression, I'm very, very happy that you brought that up. Um, I was sitting in a, in a car dealership yesterday talking to a man who happened to be from France, and he's been living here for a few years now, and he was saying that, that he just cannot get over, um, he and his wife have three children, and how he just can't get over how in France, um, you're given support for a year, the mother can stay home, um, with with the baby and then the father's given also paternity leave as well to be at home uh, and then from there at three years old all kids have basically mandatory um, um, uh, preschool everybody basically has to go rich poor everybody middle class you all go um, and it's a very with a very good curriculum but the idea is so that kids get socialized and that parents can then return to the workforce so all of those things that, that we don't have in place, right, for, for mental health and behavioral health and um, that we're seeing at an alarming rate here, uh, that the pandemic exacerbated, those are major points that, that uh, we, we need to address, 100%. And if you just watching the news um, yesterday or the day before, uh, I think it was maybe yesterday, um, President Biden had the White House, if any of you watched Ted Lasso on Apple TV, uh, the, the cast of Ted Lasso, and they talk on that show besides just talking about soccer, right, football in, in Europe, they talk a lot about mental health. That's one of the great things about that show. It's one of the only shows I've ever seen that talks about that. So I'm glad to see that there's at least, at least a conversation that's starting, but we need to get go a lot deeper on that conversation. No, I just appreciate the comments, Caitlin. Yeah. Um, you know, we are essentially one of the only countries in the world without any paid leave 
uh, paid family leave. And, um, you know, we have 12 weeks of unpaid leave, which is basically not an option for most people. You know, over half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, don't have more than $400 in their bank account. And I was just thinking back to when um, my daughter was born and, um, you know, we were in the hospital for a couple of days before and she was born at 5.30 in the morning and you're just exhausted and to have to, you know, in that case I had a summer class, but, um, you know, to have to go teach a summer class within, within a few days, um, you know, those poor students didn't get the same version of me. Uh, I didn't get the same version to my wife or daughter um, and it, it makes me sad. And I'm somebody of means, and um, there's there's certainly a lot of people in, in much different scenarios than me, and um, we're not giving families the head start and uh, um, the, the strong start that they deserve. Yeah, that's a great question. Other other questions? Or comments? So I just wanted to follow up with what can happen regarding the illegal activities when the pill will be banned. So if someone wants to go ahead and have an abortion, they will find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. But the, the way will be unsafe, underground, and will cause more harm for the females who decide to go for it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah 100%, Kasha. It's, it's definitely a concern. And you know, when we were talking about this uh, scenario with the two uh, forms of, of medication, if the second of which is, is uh, stopped even temporarily. Um, you know, the World Health Organization has um, approved just the one, the first uh, form of medication, but it's only 80% effective. And I think you're exactly right that, you know, they were, the video was talking about there's, there's more side effects, uh, negative side effects um, uh, to the mother uh, when, when taking just the one birth uh, form of medication. And I think there's definitely individuals as you know, even now, uh, with some of these states that are very restrictive, who are unfortunately going to be taking um, actions into their own hands, um, you know, because again, we, we haven't fundamentally solved this issue of people having unplanned births who are unprepared for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so we may think we have solved a problem by changing really restrictive policies at the state level. Um, but there's still going to be a lot of implications for this. Yeah, definitely. Underground medical kind of um, businesses where the goal of this business is to make money, not to take care of the women who wants to eliminate the birth. Very often they don't get to go when the pill works, they don't have access to the pill, and there are performed different surgeries, and the result, unfortunately, is the mom who dies mm -hmm. and who has several kids already at home, mm -hmm. which is really sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's so often a scenario that's facing Women, it's not always necessarily, you know, there's often talk about, unfortunately, and, and, I, I've, and you hear it very often, but talk about the, promiscuous, the promiscuousness of a person. Um, and, and oftentimes that, that women who are finding themselves in, in this scenario, they have children already at home. Um, and if you're facing, uh, and this is kind of segueing into what we were also going to talk about, but just this idea of what's kind of happening already, but women who are facing medical issues where either their life is possibly threatened or that of that of their of their child. When a woman's at a point where she's at, let's say, 20 weeks or 22 weeks or 23 weeks or 20, you know, beyond that, right, in the second or even God for the third trimester, 
people at that point, they're, they're picking out baby names, they have cribs, they have, you know, they're people that want their children. So when something like this that's catastrophic that happens, it's because there's something catastrophic happening and, and they need such a procedure. So if, if they're going to be delayed further where they may have to go, um, and again, there's a, um, a case that just developed, in, was it last week, Kevin, we were talking about the one in Texas where there's now a lawsuit being brought about against because of a, um, a woman who basically had to, basically they had to wait till she almost died essentially um, and had to perform um, a hysterectomy on her because she um, became septic and fever, developed a fever and because they, would not, they could not perform the procedure because the doctor was too afraid to perform a procedure on her, even though he said, I mean, he knew that she needed this procedure to be done because her life was at risk, but they just could not, he was unwilling to, he couldn't get the backing of other um, doctors at the hospital because they were afraid of all those things that you guys mentioned before, of possible um, legal ramifications, going to jail, losing your license, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously the idea of doctors also leaving states and going elsewhere. Um, an article that was in the, I think it was the Guardian one, yeah, the Guardian, um, talked about that in Texas that nearly half of all counties lack a single obstetrician. Yeah, nearly half the counties in Texas. And Texas is a pretty big state. So if you, need, if you have to drive eight hours to get an obstetrician to get you know, care, you know, you're, you're going to be in some trouble. It's pretty tough. Question? Is it Caitlin? Oh, sorry, wait for the microphone. Thank you. So going back on her point, it kind of made me think of like, well, if people go through underground means of getting abortion and then they come back, they're fine, but then later on in life, they see that they have issues, wouldn't that put a strain on our already strained health care system? Sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Or if you have to have a hysterectomy and you weren't planning to have one, have to have your uterus removed and you weren't planning to have it removed, it's, it's a pretty traumatic thing. Even if you're expecting it, it's a pretty, it can be a pretty traumatic thing. So if you're not expecting it, because you had, kind of had, a, had a procedure that would have enabled you to have more kids later on, but because it was delayed because of that, it's, it's, a pretty, uh, it's pretty awful. To Mary's point, there's an article that um, Mary found that we were using to prepare for this. And it, just so you're, if you're interested in it, it's called Doctors Are Leaving Anti-Abortion States. I Couldn't Do My Job at All is the title of the article. It's in The Guardian on October 26, 2022. And they highlight six different uh, doctors. And they're all just um, really tough to read. But this one in particular was talking about a doctor in Texas whose couple had a pregnancy, was not going to be viable, came to him for care, but because of Texas's abortion ban, he had to send them hundreds of miles away. The mother was 21 weeks pregnant with identical twins. Mm -hmm. They shared one placenta. One of the twins was almost certainly going to die, which most likely would have killed the other twin without intervention. The doctor wanted to use a selective life-saving procedure by stopping the blood flow to the unhealthy twin. He could have saved the other's life. In Texas, he didn't have that option. They were just crying. They needed to get to the East Coast or, or West Coast, find a doctor, and they couldn't do it in the next 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. Um, doctors are leaving these states. And so uh, the people left behind will have some uh, fewer options for some of the best doctors too. And that, that I pulled it up here. Um, that story is that article is filled with. If you if anybody want to Google it, and look it up. But it's filled with some anecdotes from um, Ohio, Texas. Um, this is an abortion provider that was in Ohio um, that basically um, uh, I think this is the lady that actually stopped, stopped 
doing that to, and she's now doing, uh, I believe, psychiatric care. She left because she could no longer be an obstetrician. Um, but she talks about a, a, a patient in Indiana who found out she was pregnant on her first day of the abortion. Abortion was illegal in Indiana. And the time it took the patient to drive to Ohio, then back to Indiana for her mandatory 24-hour waiting period. Um, then back to Ohio again for the abortion. The ban in Indiana had been temporarily lifted. So just running, you know, driving around in circles. And again, it's, it's not just that, right? It's the psychological impact. It's if you already have other kids, you're, you're taking off from work to do, do these things. It's, it's a lot, there's a lot more to it than that. And that's, that's just trauma. I, I'd like to recommend to some of you, especially to those who are, are younger, because um, this is something that I think I've always grown up with, and, and Kevin, our generation, Jess, we've all grown up with kind of having these, not kind of taking these things for granted maybe. Um, if any of you has um, HBO, um, HBO Max, look up a documentary called The Janes, like Jane, like the, you know, like the, the name Jane, The Janes. And it's about um, a, a group of women who basically were kind of risking um, prison um, and other, to, to get uh, abortion access for women who needed it. And um, this was in the, in the late 60s, uh, early 70s. And it's very powerful. But it's talking about how basically they were, they were performing kind of like what Kasha was talking about, um, these sort of like, I guess you call them black, uh, back alley abortions, but they were as safe as possible. They were you know, under you know, as safe circumstances as they, they could possibly provide. But the method that they were doing it and how women would call and would have, they didn't, before they had an answering machine, they couldn't call them back, right? Or if a person didn't leave their phone number because they were scared, they couldn't call them back. So who knows how many people they weren't able to help. Um, but it's just, it's, it's very, uh, it, was, it, was, it was kind of hard to watch, to be honest with you, in, in this aftermath of this being, of, this, of, uh, of Roe v. Wade being overturned. So um, not to depress you further, but it's, it, was, it was also, though, I think something that it's really important, for, I think, for people to see too. Um, was there another story that you wanted to, let's see the one, um, this is another one of, of a, um, a woman that was in Georgia, a doctor who then went to Missouri um, and then went to Tennessee. Um, and then basically, this might be the person that actually stopped doing it. Um, yeah, she's a yeah, maternal fetal medicine specialist. Um, so, I mean, it's just like she's kind of ready to, to uh, um, I think this is maybe the lady. Oh, yeah, she's going to, Col to Colorado. Yeah. So um, she says she feels relieved to be starting over in a new state where I'm not going to be under a microscope. Um, that someone isn't going to turn me into the cops or show up at my house and arrest me for doing my job. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of these stories. There's an article in the New York Times called "A New Goal for Abortion Bills: Punish or Protect Doctors." And um, in one example, so a lot, you know, a lot of we wanted to tell you about all the changes that are happening at the state level, and it's it's hard to keep track. There's like literally 400 yeah. bills that are being proposed, so a bill has to go through both the House and Senate at the state level, and it's signed into law by the governor. So, a lot of these are just in different phases right now. But of of one example, um, that um, physicians would face penalties of up to seven years in prison mm -hmm. and a fine of $100,000. And they're, you know, they're hearing from doctors in hospitals that are already short-staffed who are worried about recruitment. He's like, you, and this is a direct quote in the article, you can't go to jail for screwing up an appendectomy. Yes. That's the thing that gets me. If yeah. somebody will show me where there's other types of surgeries that a doctor can do and send you to jail, please let me know. Yeah. Um, so again, just the total uh, impact through the medical system that is already struggling, I'd say, to put it mildly. And Wyoming did pass, uh, 
Kevin and I were talking over the weekend, Wyoming actually did pass a bill. Um, uh, I think it was the first state now to actually outlaw the pills, the abortion pills, if I pull it up here. Um, it was just over, just over the weekend, I believe this occurred. Um, right, and so there's also Walgreens and you know, it's, uh, yeah. that ha stopped uh, providing um, Memphis Pristone. I'm sorry, my pronunciation, I practice. <laughs> I can't get it. Memphis Pristone? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, it, right in the, in, what was that, 18 states where they yeah. stopped uh, making it available in one. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's other pharmacies, but you're already seeing certain businesses kind of cave into the pressure. Um, so and yeah, maybe that's your preferred place to go to when you're, you know, and so now that's not an option to you. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, yeah, I kind of went with my We're feet down to like four minutes here and that we'd see if there's any other questions and comments. Jacob? Oh, now that we've thoroughly depressed you. So now that we have this information, now that we've been educated on it, question now is what will we do with mm -hmm. it? Like mm -hmm. what's the next step? What should we do? Mm -hmm. Because as Americans, we have that voice in our government, right? We get to choose who we elect. We get to choose. We get to, uh, we could go out and like march and we could do whatever. So what would be the next best thing to ensure that, you know, because this is a woman's right, mm -hmm. how will we protect it? Okay. Do you mind if I say something? Go, go, ahead, you go, go first. Please go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I can't speak for anybody else. I can only tell you what I did. So this is one thing I did that my husband's still laughing at me about, but I did it anyway. I actually pulled my prescriptions out of Walgreens. I've used Walgreens my, my whole life. And, um, and it's kind of upsetting me because I use it, it's my one-stop shop for a lot of things, but I'm like, I gotta put my money where my mouth is. And so I actually switched over to um, a local pharmacy um, in Orland Park that, that will deliver um, to me. So I'm like, I'm gonna make that, make that switch. Just because, I, and I, again, there's, we could have a whole other conversation about the corporatization, the, the, politicization, the politicization of corporations, but um, you know, I think that's, and then, so that's, that's one way that I personally have decided to, to do something. But, um, you know, obviously, there's there's many ways that you can make your, your voice heard. It's easy, I think, in a state like Illinois, where we have still have these benefits to become kind of complacent. Um, but I think the, I would also say that the best thing you could do is also just stay informed. Um, that's probably the easiest thing that you could do. Uh, just and, and you know, keep reading about these things and just kind of keep it, and so that you can tell other people about them. Tell maybe your friends about them who don't know about it, um, and inform them so that they know. And then maybe they, they'll tell somebody else too, and it just has that ripple effect. Um, and obviously, when it comes time to, to to vote and be involved, know how your politicians know where they stand on issues, um, and 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 vote accordingly based on how you believe on the issue, right? And how they how you think they're going to be voting on it. Um, that's probably the best thing I could say, at least in the short term. Yeah, I, I think there's just a whole bunch of ways to get involved politically, and and I I don't think we should get too complacent with Illinois, you know, with the way governors' elections can go, yeah. um, and, and so it's always to 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 get involved locally first. But um, you know, I I also just getting involved in some of these uh, battleground states that just happen to share a border with us, like Wisconsin. Um, you know, we're. The, the 2020, uh, the 2016 election is, is why we're in this situation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we, we had a president win by losing the popular vote by a couple million votes, who was able to nominate three Supreme Court members. Supreme and, you know, as Mary pointed out, the Roe v. Wade was decided 7-2. There's like four or five Republican appointed Supreme Court members who 
gave the right to abortion. Um, and so th this has been a recent change. And um, I think that uh, getting involved, making you know, Senate elections in places like Wisconsin and, and uh, battleground states, you know, the last two elections for president have been decided by less than 80,000 votes. Mm -hmm. um, the, the control of the House of Representatives has been decided by 5,000, 6,000 votes this last uh, election. Um, you know, both parties have had a five-vote majority in the House the last two elections. Um, we're basically at a 50-50 Senate. So, I mean, it's it's kind of getting involved. And by, I don't know, we're limited to money, so it isn't like you're not going to write some $10,000 check, but we're, you can write letters. There's all kinds of organizations where you can write letters to voters to urge them to vote. I also just really think that the Supreme Court, as isolated as they are, they can respond to public... Um, I don't say protests, but movements mm -hmm. of, of people, you know, this is not okay. I mean, this is the, the way that this is, um, the, the, the changes that we've seen just in the, the Dobbs case was over whether Mississippi should have restrictions at 15 weeks. They never needed to completely overturn Roe v. Wade. That was judicial activism. They could have just, the case was dealing with whether uh, Mississippi could have restrictions at 15 weeks instead of 22 weeks. They decided to overturn Roe v. Wade. I think they assumed the public would be more complacent and they basic, so I, I think that they would respond to seeing um, people acting and, um, movements and protests mm -hmm. and getting out on the streets and showing your displeasure. And we're already seeing, uh, you know, the question, we're already seeing, I just want to say something positive too. I mean, in states where, a state like Kansas, right? Um, where it's, it's, you wouldn't argue it's, it's a bastion of blueness, right? It's, it's, it's a pretty red state where um, they rejected an abortion ban. Michigan, so when, when voters are being given the chance to make that decision, uh, just to kind of inject a little bit of positivity. Um, they are they're making their voices heard because overwhelmingly public opinion, regardless of what we say, is very much it's respect, respective of, of red or blue, seems to be uh, pro pro choice on this matter. Whether you think personally or not, overwhelmingly is is, is pro choice. You have another last uh, comment or question? Um, just sharing information. So Orland Park's election is this. For to do the election, it's April 4th, that's the official election, yeah. but you can go vote right now. Yes. Um, and up, right now, for, up for candidacy is mayor for Orland Park and mayor, yes. and I think the Orland Park um, consolidated, like, uh, like I don't know the proper term, but like The referendum they're, that they're, they're talking about right now? The referendum that they're discussing right now, is that what you're talking about? Oh, no. It was like their school board. They're school like, board, yeah. Okay. So maybe it's like, right now would be a great way to like, kind of look at the candidacy and mm -hmm. see who are going to advocate for this. Mm -hmm. um, right now for the school board, I think, I haven't seen the candidates, so I don't know uh, their their viewpoints or anything. But I think if you see like a candidate who views like um, education for um, uh, prevention of pregnancy, it would be a great way to do it for our school districts mm -hmm. too. Yeah. So that's some information. Yeah, thank, thank you, you. Caitlin. Thank you all for being here today. It's a great panel. Yeah. Or thank, I mean, great comments, I should say. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, you guys. I'm like, we're a great, we're such a great panel. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're so awesome. Let's see the great comments. I was very impressed with the comments. Like, can we just say how awesome we are? <laughs> Those awesome comments. Thank you, thank you very much for your input. Thank you, Jess. No, thank you. It's good. It's a good thing.
Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Mary. Oh, hi. How are you? Nice to me. I'm just put your face with a name. Right, exactly. It's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for what you're saying. I, I had so many things I wanted to say.